I have a rare skill. I can read minds. I know what every single one of y'all are thinking. Why is an altar server doing mass? <laughs> and that's a fair question. I've been a priest for eight months. I'm in the same class as Father Cambry, and uh, I'm the parochial vicar, same, same job as Father Cambry, over at Our Lady of Wisdom on the UL campus. And, surprisingly enough, I'm not entirely sure why, Father Bordelon has asked me to come and do your Lenten mission this week. Either he's really, really desperate, or he trusts me. And either way, I'm not entirely sure why. But what's beautiful about this Lenten mission is that it, it ties completely and totally to the gospel today. In our gospel, we have Jesus going into the desert to pray for 40 days, to combat Satan, and to be ministered by the angels. And what he says after he exits the desert is truly life-changing and echoes in, 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 in earthquakes and, in a sense, shakes the very foundations of the people of Israel. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read this for the first time, whenever I really began to consider this claim that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, I started asking questions. Really? If the kingdom of God is at hand, why is it that the world doesn't look that different from the way it did 2,000 years ago? Why is it that we still have church, excuse me, school shootings like we had this past week? Why is it that we still have drugs and alcohol and all these other problems that tend to rip apart our families and destroy us? What does Jesus mean whenever he says the kingdom of God is at hand? And it's a fair question that I think every single one of us should have. What is he getting at? And if we're ever going to understand that, we have to look at the very beginning of Scripture. In the beginning, there was a man that God created by the name of Adam. And Adam was heralded to be the son of God. Adam was the king of the world. And in his sanctuary was a place by the name of Eden. He was a priest in the sanctuary of Eden in the same, in the same way that me, Father Bordelon, Father Cambry, all priests, in a sense, are placed in the sanctuary right here in this church. And out of that sanctuary, Adam was charged with a mission to be fruitful and multiply and to spread the kingdom of God throughout all the earth, sanctifying it completely and totally. But Adam decided otherwise. He decided not to fulfill his mission, but instead decided to serve himself and not seek to spread the kingdom of God, but to be God. And because of that, he ate the fruit that Eve gave him, and the whole human race has suffered from it ever since. Adam brought down the kingdom of God before it even got started. And because of that, God did not, what's so beautiful that, excuse me, is that God didn't strike us down. God didn't tear Adam apart. He didn't send him to hell right there and then. But instead, he decided to work with humanity. He, sought, he sent prophets, he sent patriarchs, he sent people to sanctify humanity so that they might be saved. And the first patriarch he sent was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was, as the Jews said, the fixer-upper of Adam. In one of the Jewish commentaries of Genesis, he says, they say that Adam, God sent Adam into the world to sanctify it. And if Adam messed up, then God would send Abraham. And he did. Abraham was known to be the father of the Jewish people. 
the fa- our father, the father of Christian people. And what he did was he had a son by the name of Isaac who had a son by the name of Jacob whose name was later changed to Israel, which means one who has striven with God. That's very important if we're ever going to understand what Jesus means whenever he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Because from Israel came 12 sons. And these 12 sons ended up being and becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. And the story of Israel is Abraham, excuse me, Jacob and his sons lived in the land of Israel, then went to Egypt because of a famine, and then led by Moses back up to the promised land. And in the promised land, they established what was known as the nation of Israel, where 12 tribes lived together and they had a king. That king was named David. David was the most important king ever to rule the nation of Israel. He was the one favored by God. He was the one who slew Goliath. And under David's reign, Israel had 40 years of peace. But David's reign was not complete. The mission of Israel was not total. Because he did not build the temple, he wasn't called to do that. That job fell upon his son. His son, whose name was Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest men ever to, ever to walk the face of the earth. Because as a young king, he asked God for wisdom. And in his wisdom, he built a temple. A temple to hold the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, God Most High. And from this temple, God was going to sanctify the world. My friends, in the reign of Solomon at that time, we truly saw the kingdom of God. A kingdom not focused on conquest, a kingdom not focused on money, a kingdom not focused on resources, but a kingdom solely dedicated to glorifying God through sacrifices inside the temple. If you will, Israel was the sanctuary for the whole world to be sanctified and brought back to God the way God intended it from the very beginning, the way God wanted us to be sanctified and to glorify Him in Adam. But then came a little bit of a problem. Solomon got a little greedy. His eyes got the best of him. And you know what he did? He married 700 women. Lord have mercy. I'm not entirely sure why he'd want to do that. But that is exactly what he did. All to gain political kind of influence. 700 wives. And because of that, in his old age, instead of following God, what he began to do was follow these pagan wives' ways and offer sacrifices to all kinds of strange pagan gods. And as punishment, God separated the kingdom of Israel. And the twelve tribes were no longer united. The Israel became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and those kingdoms eventually got destroyed. It wasn't until a hundred years before the birth of Christ that Israel started to be assembled yet again. The 12 tribes even started to somewhat come together, but the problem was they were occupied by the Romans. This Roman occupation really, really annoyed the Jews because they wanted to be their own people. They wanted to have their own king. They wanted to have their own ways. And so what they were looking for was someone to do that. Someone who's known as the Messiah. And here we have it. A man who who did the impossible, who spent 40 days in the desert not eating or drinking. A man who prayed, a man who later we discovered can heal, raise people from the dead, make food out of nothing. A man who, if he wanted to, could be the greatest military leader of all time. The man was Jesus Christ. 
And whenever he stepped out of the desert and said the kingdom of God is at hand, the people of Israel began to think of the glory days of Solomon, of the glory days of David, of those times where men and women in Israel were a complete and independent nation, a nation rich with resources, a nation which governed itself, a nation not worried about these dang Gentile Romans cramping their style. That is what they began to dream about. And yet, that's not exactly what happened, was it? See, Jesus came onto the scene after gathering 12 men, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel, symbolizing the fact that Israel would be recommitted, and instead of saying, hey guys, we're going to take up arms, we're going to fight the Romans, we're going to take them down, he said something else. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know what that's code word for? We're going to take up arms, boys. We're going to fight. But it will not be against Romans. It will not be against Persians. It will not be against other earthly kingdoms. Who we're going to fight is not somebody who has a body in this world, but somebody who has a spirit in this world. We're going to fight the devil. We're going to fight the demons. And we're going to put them back to hell where they belong. That's what he was saying. Whenever he said, repent and believe in the gospel. And that's why Father Bordelon called me to do this parish mission. To discuss how you and I can fulfill this call that Jesus is giving us. The call to take up arms. The call to fight. The call to put Satan back to hell where he belongs. Because the reality is, is there is another spiritual entity in this world and it's not just God. And that spiritual entity can be seen in this very gospel himself. Jesus remained in the desert for 40 years, tempted by Satan. He did hand-to-hand -hand combat with the evil one. And he's calling you and I to do that exact same thing. To fight the evil one. And the fight of the evil one is not a matter of taking up picket signs and going protest things and yell at people and saying you're going to hell unless you can repent. As fun as that is sometimes. Fighting the evil one is about winning those battles that are deep within our hearts. About discerning which spirits are speaking to us deep within our hearts. Those spirits which can either be the good spirit or the evil one. And what God is calling us to do right here in this gospel is to reject that evil spirit. Repent and accept the good spirit. Believe in the gospel. The things that he did right here in the scriptures. Where, where it reads, he was tempted by Satan, and yet the angels ministered to him. That's our mission. To reject Satan, to overcome those temptations, and to allow the angels of God to minister to you and to me. That we might be citizens of the kingdom of God, that are citizens of peace, citizens of joy, citizens of happiness, things that Satan is no fan of. Satan wants us to experience misery. Satan wants us to experience loneliness. Satan wants us to experience anxiety. 
something that goes completely against the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place, a refuge for sinners like you and like me to go and to be ministered by the angels so that we might know our true dignity. We might know our true call that you and I are sons and daughters of God, nothing else. And so that's why I'm here. And that's why we'll be giving this mission. This mission will be called the discernment of spirits. So that you and I can know exactly which spirit to fight, which spirit to accept. Not just how, which spirit to fight and which spirit to accept, but how to do that fighting. How to do that accepting. If we're honest, how many times do you and I go to a great and beautiful retreat? Or how many times do you and I go to Mass and we experience a deep movement of the Spirit? And a Spirit of God, a Spirit of peace, a Spirit of love, a Spirit of joy. Only to a few hours later, be agitated, angry, and anxious. That's what the discernment of spirits is all about. It's staying in that place. That place where you and I are physically and spiritually being ministered to by the angels. And rejecting those temptations that the devil loves to throw at us. To be anxious, to be miserable, and to be sad. So my dear friends, as we go forth this Sunday... May we allow the angels to minister to us like Jesus did in the desert. May, they, may we allow them to touch our hearts. And may the Lord give us the strength to resist and, re and reject any and all temptations from the evil one.